0: This podcast was produced in partnership with Post Industrial Media. Post Industrial produces original journalism in podcast, print, online, and video, covering communities in transition around the world. Join our community today by visiting postindustrial.com. Somehow, there's no swearing in this episode. But be aware, there is a wholesome Western alternative to a four-letter word. Okay, here we go.
1: So we can go follow along that, with that feed tractor. Well, okay. he's chopping it into the mangers. Or we could go chop some ice in these, our water troughs have to be chopped out this morning because ice is built up.
0: Let's chop some
1: ice. Need. I was afraid you'd say that. <laughs> I'll hold that and you chop the
0: ice. <laughs> as rough and tumble as Idaho politics have become, it's nothing compared to a winter on the eastern Idaho steppe. In her political life, Jennifer Ellis does battle with militia members and anti-government firebrands. But right now, she's battling frozen water troughs on her ranch. And I'm happy to be holding the mic and not the shovel.
1: I freeze. I've always froze. So I bought a pair of electric socks. And they ran off of two double D batteries, or two D batteries. So I was kicking water troughs one day. Being lazy, didn't want to get too shovel happy. Kept thinking, jeez, have I got a nerve that I've pinched or something? (laughs) I'd kicked water on those batteries. So they were shocking me.
0: (laughs) Ellis's ranch is snowbound on a frigid winter day. It's a rolling white landscape as far as I can see. And that's not very far because the clouds are low and the snow is coming down. I'm tagging along with her and her husband as they feed their herd. How many head of cattle do you have, if that's okay to ask?
1: <laughs> so there's an old inside joke that you never ask or answer the size of their spread. <laughs>
0: right, I've heard that.
1: That's why I qualified it. <laughs> so Sean and I have about 700 mother cows. And then we run with our daughter and son-in-law and they have another 450. So we run together most of the time. So by a lot of standards, we're just a little podunk outfit.
0: Despite what some militia members and other far-right activists might tell you, Ellis is no liberal, and she knows her way around a firearm.
1: <laughs> well, I mean, you had to kick your way into the backseat of my pickup. Day again with, was there two rifles back there? I don't know. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I've concealed carried since I was young. I, I think you might be hard-pressed to get in a vehicle around here that didn't have a weapon of some type in it.
0: She's a third-generation Idaho rancher who's been in Republican politics much of her adult life. She and her husband have been operating this ranch for 35 years.
1: Desert ranches. They're not what you might call uh, the most beautiful places in the world, but but they function. I mean, I know that you've been shocked that this doesn't look like Yellowstone.
0: (laughs) It's bleak and kind of endearing. I could spend all episode waxing poetic about ranch life, but this is a podcast about militias and politics, not ag. So Ellis's day job is obviously ranching. Day and night job, really, depending on the time of year. Man, it seems like hard work. But she's also a longtime political operator. Ranchers like Ellis are the reason the Idaho Cattlemen's Association dropped the man's and became the Idaho Cattle Association.
1: So in 2009, I was the president of the Idaho Cattle Association, the second woman uh, in a 100-year organization. And from there on, I have worked ag policy, basically, in this state from um, public lands,
0: uh, private lands interests. Leading the Cattle Association is an important role in beef country. Idaho is a largely agricultural state, and farmers and ranchers have power. Just peek into a session of the state legislature and take note of how many people in leadership come from ag. That leap to president of the Cattle Association made Ellis a political player in the state. It also was a job steeped in bringing disparate interests to the table.
1: Anything that had to do with policy, I wanted to know why people thought like they did and try and help keep sane policy coming forward
0: through the state of Idaho. (coughs) So Ellis has long played a role in Idaho politics, but she's hung in the background, working things out behind the scenes. These days, though, she's become an unlikely conservative voice of resistance to far-right extremism. And as the far-right rides a rising tide across the country, many more like her are fighting back. It's an uphill battle, and it's getting ugly. I'm Heath Drusen, and this is Extremely American. A look inside militias and other far right groups that are trying to remake America in their absolutist image. Episode 9 The Resistance Ellis talks about her time in the Cattle Association with a kind of nostalgia. Those were quaint days when people argued about policy disputes and tried to find compromise. Sometimes, even politely. It's a little different today. What was the latest
1: one that I got called? Commie, socialist, neocon. Yeah, oh, and I got called a cuck. Had to go look that one up.
0: I'll let you look it up too if you don't know it. But it's the shortening of a sexual insult. A portmanteau with racist roots that's been taken up by ultra-conservatives. So why is conservative rancher Jennifer Ellis getting called a commie? Well, that's because Idaho politics is being increasingly taken over by the far right, and Ellis doesn't like that. Part of what spurred Ellis to action was violent rhetoric, like this speech last year from far-right Idaho lawmaker Ben Adams.
1: Now is the time to push back, to lay claim to our sovereignty as a state and to the sovereignty of every citizen. And I am confident That if it takes, as Jefferson said, a watering of the tree of liberty
2: with the blood of every tyrant from sea to shining sea, then so be it.
0: When Ellis started hearing more talk like that after the 2016 presidential election, she was disturbed. She saw politicians getting into the statehouse who were there to fight, not fix problems.
1: I mean, I know this sounds kind of condescending, but we need grown-ups in those rooms that folks that are running for office that are willing to scare and intimidate
0: Someone who stands up to him, that to me disqualifies him from office. It motivated her to co-found the group Idaho Conservatives with a fellow Republican. It's an anti-extremist group, a conservative critique of the far right. But it's not exactly the Lincoln Project, that national group of never-Trump Republicans who put out videos mocking the former president. No, you won't find anti-Trump content on Idaho conservatives. Trump remains popular in Idaho, and Ellis sees discussions about the former president as a distraction from the goal. If you're trying to accomplish something politically in Idaho without Trump supporting Republicans, well, good luck. The group has printed exposés on far-right politicians and activists. They've called out what they see as extremism, and they're almost exclusively calling out their own party. I've been really disappointed in
1: uh, the GOP when I'm not seeing any solutions coming from the GOP. I'm seeing fear-mongering and dragging out the big lie of a stolen election. I'm seeing them trying to villainize anyone that doesn't fall in line,
0: including members of their own party. But Ellis had been wandering in the wilderness a bit before 2020. There wasn't much of an organized anti-extremist resistance, and the far right was winning battle after battle. Then came the pandemic. Ellis says the far right was ready to pounce on just such a crisis. They were so far ahead of
1: anybody that might have had a counter narrative that it just flooded the airways. So yeah, they, people who were trying, you know, our healthcare professionals, our good um, elected officials that were trying to get ahead of the misinformation, they were
0: taking a knife to a gunfight far-right groups immediately protested any pandemic restrictions. No matter what medical professionals said, they treated COVID-19 as a minor virus or even a hoax. But that crisis also brought an opportunity. It gave Ellis's lonely anti-extremist fight some backup.
2: My name is Mike Satz. I am the executive director of the Idaho 97 Project.
0: The Idaho 97 Project is another anti-extremist group. The name is a shot at the 3% militia, As in, we're the other 97% of people who aren't into preparing for armed conflict with the government. As you've heard in previous episodes, the Idaho chapter of that militia is very active in state politics. On the surface, Mike Satz is pretty different from Ellis. He's a lawyer by training, spent some time in academia as a law school dean, and leans Democrat. The Navy veteran has an affinity for old motorcycles. He's often seen around Boise riding this throwback Russian model he showed off to me in his garage.
2: It looks like an old World War II sidecar.
0: Sats had already been worried about extremism. But before the pandemic, the Idaho 97 was more of a meme than a group. But in March of 2020, the same month the first cases of COVID-19 were found in Idaho, the Idaho 97 became official. Sats and two other Boise activists formed an LLC, with Sats as executive director. They got down to business, battling extremism at the local politics level. And that's hard work he's talking nitty-gritty about county commission and school board seats, even library boards.
2: There's a concerted effort by extremist organizations and groups uh, to take over local institutions and and local elected positions. And this goes for school boards, library boards, municipal, all county and municipal positions. And it's, it's happening everywhere, and they're actually showing more success at that than they are on the national scene.
0: And in 2021, Satz's group found themselves with a crucial local battle. It was June in Ada County, by far the most populous county in Idaho, and the sheriff had abruptly resigned. That left it to the county commissioners to elect a new one. The outgoing sheriff was a Republican, and commissioners took the top three picks from the Ada County GOP Central Committee. At first, it all seemed pretty ho-hum. All three were law enforcement veterans. But then Satz and others started digging into one of the candidates, Doug Trouble. Traubel, a former sheriff's deputy, wrote a self-published book that made anti-Semitic and racist claims.
2: Obviously, the issues he had with his writings about race and religion um, were very problematic, and I was worried about, you know, inequitable policing of different communities based on that.
0: Traubel also wrote that half of rape allegations were false, and he aligned himself with the anti-government constitutional sheriff's movement. They believe the county sheriff is basically the highest authority in the land, and they're close to the militia movement. Here's Trouble being interviewed by a far-right activist. One question I'm frequently asked is, is gun confiscations. Would I, would I allow ATF to come in and, and seize guns? No. Even if Congress passed a law, uh, I would have to disobey that law because in disobeying it, I'm actually honoring a higher law, which is the oath of the Constitution. Sats and the Idaho 97 sprang into action.
2: The first thing we did was just put that information out there. And let people know who this guy was. And then the next thing we did was we got our followers to contact the Ada County commissioners. Uh, we got them to make phone calls. We got them to send in emails.
0: Jennifer Ellis, too, was sounding the alarm about Trouble to whomever would listen. But despite his ugly writing and extreme views, there was no guarantee Trouble would lose. He had the backing of the county GOP, and two of three commissioners are far-right members of the party. Satz's allies reached out to one of the far-right commissioners. They pushed the case that Trouble was a bridge too far.
2: At the same time, with the information that we were able to put out, a lot of press organizations started digging deeper and found more stuff. And then it just became politically too hot for them to deal with. And so they rejected that candidate. And ultimately, you know, they picked the right candidate.
0: It was close. On a 2-1 vote, the commission chose the more moderate police chief of the town and the county. The far-right commissioners split over him. In the end, it was an uncontroversial pick, and it was a big victory for Sats and Ellis and the anti-extremist effort. But 2021 would be a mixed bag. In September, a doctor who called COVID-19 vaccines fake and mandates needle rape was narrowly voted onto the state's largest health board. Ellis and Sats don't work directly together, though they say they've talked. But they're after the same thing, to stop far-right candidates from winning elected office kind of taking parallel paths to try to defeat the same adversary. And there's this motley crew of activists and politicians that's popped up nationally, too. They're devoted to resisting extremism. A group of Montana legislators that call themselves the Solutions Caucus are trying to counter their far-right Statehouse colleagues. An Ohio State Representative is waging a one-woman campaign against the medical misinformation that's become endemic in the Statehouse there. In Portland, Oregon, there's a left-leaning group giving local activists workshops on how to push back against extremist groups. The groups they're battling, a loose coalition of anti-government hardliners, militias, and anti-vaxxers, supercharge Sats's resolve in Idaho.
2: These are groups that most Idahoans disagree with. Not only disagree with, they they actively dislike. Yet they're forcing their will on Idahoans. And that's just wrong. And so we're here to stand up to them.
0: Sats and Ellis have a common main opponent the Idaho Freedom Foundation. The far-right group has gained a lot of influence in the state house. They also have a lot of money, though they won't say where it comes from. The group gives politicians scores that rate them on their support for, quote, freedom, which can have sway in primaries. As a 501c3, they're not supposed to officially back candidates, but they come right up to the line. Ellis says they are formidable adversaries. According to their latest tax filing, they had more than $700,000 in funding in 2019. That's a lot for a small state like Idaho. They also play hardball, breezily throwing around the word socialist at anyone they disagree with.
1: It seems pretty overwhelming when you have the the Freedom Foundation mechanism that brings an incredible amount of money to primaries and an incredible amount of messaging and everything. And so I think it's gotten worse, especially with when you're trying to talk people into running for office, that they look at the vitriol and the chaos and the fact that there's very few grown-ups left in the room, it would
0: appear, that they have no interest in running. Ellis and Satz's groups raise money too, but they can't compete with the Freedom Foundation funding, at least not yet. So for the 2021 election, Satz and Ellis basically look to defeat anyone backed by the Foundation.
2: That was our actual only goal for this entire election, was to stop Freedom Foundation.
0: The Idaho Freedom Foundation declined a request for an interview. They actually have a long-winded media policy complaining about socialism and propaganda. It's a super wordy way of saying they don't answer press questions. So yeah, Satz is worried about extremist candidates getting into office, but there's been another aspect of the rise of the far-right that's disturbed him on another level. Far-right activists showing up armed has become a regular occurrence. They bring guns to the statehouse, to protests, even outside politicians' houses. Satz says that makes Idaho feel less and less welcoming to people like him. Satz is a black man in a largely white state. He's been especially dismayed by armed, mostly white men showing up to anti-racism protests.
2: There is an absolute implicit message of violence in in that. Um, And that that message is burned into the psyche of the people who, who are in these disenfranchised or different other groups historically.
0: He says that kind of extremism is changing the way a lot of Idahoans feel about their place in the state.
2: I do know people who have moved, um, and I do know people who are considering moving.
0: So Sat sees his mission as a bit of a personal one, keeping Idaho a place that feels like home to everyone. But Sat says his group, the Idaho 97, is not trying to turn ruby red Idaho blue. In most cases, they're trying to get people to back more moderate Republicans. That's just the reality in a state with Republican supermajorities in the legislature.
2: At the end of the day, Idaho is an extremely conservative state and no one involved with the Idaho 97 project cares if it's a Republican state or Democrat state or in the middle state. What we care about are policymakers that are focused on the people and the policies could be policies from the left. They could be policies from the right. But if they focus on the people, that's what's important. And right now we're not seeing that at all.
0: The latest test for Sats and Ellis was the 2021 elections in November, and they won a few battles.
2: Overall, the results were were actually uh, pretty good, if you're looking at it from a lens of every office statewide.
0: There was that anti-Semitic school board candidate in North Idaho. He was backed by the radical Redoubt movement and the head of the Freedom Foundation. He lost, albeit narrowly. And far-right candidates across North Idaho had mixed results. But there were notable setbacks.
2: There were some races that were just absolutely devastating to people, uh, particularly here in uh, the Treasure Valley, in Canyon County.
0: Sats is referring to Idaho's second most populous county. That's where anti-extremists saw their biggest electoral disaster. Far-right anti-maskers took over a school board in the third largest city in Idaho. Another battle anti-extremists lost in the last election? The ground game. Voter turnout was low, as it often is in off-year elections. But low turnout tends to mean more activist voters, in a Republican-dominated state that can favor far-right candidates. Sat says that has to change to turn the tide.
2: Get the vote out is always, always the the major challenge for everybody. But we're not going to push back and and completely defeat extremism, unless we get the voters out. Right, which may happen. It depends really on on how these candidates behave uh, once they're they're in office. And and that's a lesson, a civic lesson, right? That look, this is our responsibility in, in the U.S. To, to, to do this kind of thing.
0: One thing anti-extremist activists have been up against during the pandemic is an extreme built-in disadvantage. Taking the pandemic seriously, they've shied away from organizing large in-person protests and opted for things like car rallies. Meanwhile, their political foes have no such hesitation. In their rebellion against any pandemic measures, it's part of their strategy to gather unmasked in large groups. In 2022, Ellis and Satz face their biggest challenge yet. An entire slate of far-right candidates is making a run at multiple statewide offices, including governor. If you listened to episode six, you'll remember the state's militia-friendly Lieutenant Governor Janice McGeehan. She's the one in full rebellion against the current governor and fellow Republican Brad Little. That's why I am running to be your next governor of the state of Idaho. If McGeehan and her far-right allies are successful in their campaigns, Idaho government would likely swing far to the right. It could mean sweeping policy changes, and even a potential showdown with the federal government. That has spurred Ellis to redouble her efforts. She recently started another anti-extremist group, this time with some prominent Republicans backing her. It's a bipartisan, though largely Republican, political action committee with a goal of actively supporting moderate candidates. She's trying to stop candidates like McGeehan and militia leader Eric Parker. He's running for state Senate.
1: If we want to see business in Idaho leave because of this hateful, chaotic, juvenile approach to politics that we've started to take in this state, then I guess we're going to surrender it to the folks like Eric Parker and company. And I'd hate to think of what making a living in this state looks like then.
0: Back at Ellis's ranch, I watch cowboys brand and vaccinate cattle and do the messy business of pregnancy checks. Ellis enjoys the nitty-gritty of ranch life. And she seems to love Idaho. But it doesn't always love her back, at least not in politics these days. I asked what keeps her in a state she sees so politically dysfunctional.
1: Now look, dang it, you can't ask questions like that, then I get all choked up and stuff. Act like a dumb girl. Um, holy cow, there's so many things. The people. Um, Idaho's still a place where if you have something go wrong, you've got people at your door instantly trying to figure out how to help you, and ag is... You know, I guess maybe really exemplary of that, um, my husband had a heart attack pretty young. He got a blood clot from getting kicked by a cow and, um, by three hours after it happened, we had just pickups filling this feedlot saying, what do we do? Where do we go? What do we do to help you?
0: They fed the herd, checked up on new cows and brought so much food, her freezer was stocked for a month. But she's clear-eyed about the uphill battle she has in front of her to keep extremism at bay. She said this when Idaho hospitals were overwhelmed with COVID-19 patients back in November, 2021. Is extremism winning at this point? Well, it would sure
1: appear so. When you look at the vax rates in this state, to me, there's correlations there. I think it's very indicative of what's happened. I mean, you look at, we're in crisis standards of care right now. We have 30 to 50 people dying in a given day. And yet you still have our legislators and our lieutenant governor saying that there should be no mass mandates. There should be no, you know, vaccines for private businesses, you know. I mean, it's like the world's turned on its head. And it does seem really overwhelming.
0: Next time on Extremely American. We go from anti-extremist groups fighting to keep far-right politicians out of office to an attorney who says militia activity is largely illegal. And she's reaching out across the country to convince prosecutors and law enforcement that she's right. Well, that's crazy. The First Amendment doesn't protect violence.
1: It doesn't protect incitement to imminent lawless activity. The Second Amendment protects an individual right to bear arms for individual self-defense. It doesn't protect the right to arm yourself as your own private military and go out and either usurp law enforcement functions or engage in offensive paramilitary activity against your
0: ideological enemies. Now, she's taking them to court, trying to put militias out of business, and leaders in the movement have taken notice.
1: Oh, I think it'll completely abolish um, any sort of militia, which is kind of a scary thought.
0: Extremely American was created by me, Heath Drusen. Story editing by Morgan Springer. Mixing and sound engineering by James Dawson. Original music by Micah Huang. Additional music from Artlist. Kim Palmero is editor-in-chief and CEO of Post Industrial Media. Thanks also to Boise State Public Radio, the exclusive public radio sponsor for this podcast. To help other people find us, please rate and review this podcast on whatever app you're using to listen. This podcast is made possible through the Candida Fund. Learn more at k-e-n-d-e-d-a.org. And from the Joyce Foundation, JoyceFDN.org with support from the Forbes Funds at ForbesFunds.org. For photos from this series and some companion articles, head over to PostIndustrial.com.
2: This podcast was produced in partnership with Post-Industrial Media. Post-Industrial covers people, culture,
0: and ideas for post-industrial communities around the world. Visit postindustrial.com to learn how you can join the post-industrial community.